What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. Today is Friday, March 4th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here once again with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, how's it going? Maddie, the birds are chirping. The sun is out. Spring is here. March, one of the best months of all time, is here. Your birth month. <laughs> making it a good one. Absolutely, dude. Full eyes, clear heart, March, can't lose. <laughs> so uh, we're recording in advance, but you want to make any predictions for how your Friday is going right now? I think my Friday is probably starting off on an absolutely fire note. Um, it's March 4th, so you got to have, I know you're a big Star Wars fan, so you got to do like the March 4th thing. Ooh, that's May 4th. Oh no, <laughs> fuck. I'm thinking of, you know what I'm thinking of is when my mom would be like, oh, it's March 4th. You know, when we were in grade school, I always used to say, hey, teacher, what's today? And then she would say March 4th, and then we would all get up out of our seats. Uh, that's a good one. I've never heard that That's before. what I was thinking of. No. No? Oh, yeah. That was, she, uh, she used to love pulling that's that like one a, That's a, that's a high tier pun right there. I like that. <laughs> it's a high IQ <laughs> pun. <laughs> all right. Let's get into the show. planet today here on tpt we cover the latest in climate change wildlife conservation renewable energy and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way monday and friday this shows your one-stop shop for all things environmental whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics tpt has a little bit for everyone so we're happy to have you as a listener yes and please go rate the show on spotify and throw us a rate and review on apple Podcasts as well yeah, and thank you to everyone who has already reviewed the show. And if you leave a review, we'll definitely read it on the show. Quick programming note before we move on. There was a really important report that came out this week from the IPCC about how climate change adaptation is going to get increasingly more difficult. And the U.S. Supreme Court also began hearing oral arguments about how much the federal government can limit pollution from power plants. We're going to talk about both those stories in full on Monday, March 14th, because both of those deserve their own episode. There's a lot to break down, and that's the next Monday we have open, because this Monday, we're going to be doing a documentary review. So March 14th, put it in your calendars. It's going to be a big show. Book it, mark it, circle it on the calendar. It's a big date. All right, let's get into our quick hits for the week. So the first one is from Roger Harabin of the BBC, who writes, government climate advisors say cut fossil fuels to lower energy bills. Advisors said wind and solar power and better home insulation is a better route than expanding shale and gas production in the United Kingdom's North Sea. Some Tory ministers of parliament say that expanding would lower energy bills, but advisors from the UK's Climate Change Committee, or CCC, said this would barely impact consumer prices. The report from the CCC comes when household energy bills are rising quickly and there's international uncertainty over gas supplies due to the Russia-Ukraine crisis. The committee further warned that some new fossil fuel projects wouldn't even deliver gas until 2050, which is when the UK aims to be almost entirely gas-free. To be fair, 
there is less of a climate impact through using domestic gas than there would be to import it. But it seems a little silly to invest in a long-term gas project, knowing that the country's hoping to not use gas in the pretty near future. Yeah, definitely. And environmentalists oppose the committee not following the International Energy Agency's recommendation of not expanding fossil fuel exploration. And that recommendation was made basically because enough has already been discovered. Lord Debon, the committee's chairman, emphasized moving past burning gas and said, if the UK followed through with green policies outlined by the prime minister, it would cut 100 pounds off of bills in the future. A UK think tank known as the Green Alliance accused the British government of wasting millions of pounds on increasing North Sea oil and gas. It said that the whole reason why oil and gas production is so profitable is because of tax relief and subsidies, which have made the UK one of the most skewed tax environments in the world for the industry. That comment was made a day before the report was released, and the report estimated that fossil fuel companies received nearly 10 billion pounds in tax relief for new exploration in the North Sea between 2016 and 2020 while 3.7 billion pounds was granted in tax relief for the cost of decommissioning. Yeah, I mean, this is basically saying gas isn't even, you know, economically worth it anymore. You know, like it makes more sense to follow through with these green policies and go towards the renewable energy, uh, you know, that we can we can take advantage of. Yeah, it's going to be more profitable. It's going to be better for the planet. It's just a better all-around decision right now, and I guess that's sort of what they were emphasizing here. So one more thing to add, the report warned that revenue is expected to drop from the mature basin because remaining resources are becoming harder and harder to extract. So like Nick just said, the industry is going to continue to become less and less profitable as time goes on. Yeah, exactly. All right, this next one up is from The Guardian, where Karen McVeigh writes... Plastic Summit could be most important green deal since Paris Accords, says UN. World leaders will be meeting in Nairobi, Kenya and online this week to discuss a global treaty to combat plastic waste, something that the public has been growing increasingly hopeful for over recent years. Inger Anderson of the UN Environment Program says this could be the most multilateral pact since Paris in 2015. She also adds that the outcome of this meeting could see a legally binding blueprint to control plastics from source to sea. This comes after the U.S. and France agreed earlier in February to call for a global agreement that recognizes the importance of reducing plastic waste at its source. Yeah, I mean, how we handle our plastic is definitely really important for our future. So any ideas in reducing plastic waste, I am all ears for. Or even just like we talked about, like second life, you know? Yeah. Reusing what's not expected to be a multi-use plastic extends it. But, you know, I'm curious to see what comes out of this and and what kind of stuff we can eliminate at the source because single use plastics are always going to be an issue as long as they are continually produced and used. Yeah. We've talked about this before. And Nick, I think you might've mentioned this last week or the week before, but only 9% of plastic waste in the world is recycled. And this article points out that it's tough to recycle, slow to decay, expensive and polluting to burn, and it breaks down into tiny particles that end up in the food chain and harm animals. So whatever way you want to spin it, plastics aren't good. And microplastics have even been found on Mount Everest's peak and in the depths of our oceans. If the UN does not come to an agreement... A World Wildlife Fund report predicts widespread ecological damage as plastic polluting could quadruple by 2050. 
Yeah, and Inger Anderson also said that from the 1950s to today, we have produced 9 billion tons of plastic and 7 billion tons of that is plastic waste. 76% ends up in landfills and the rest is incinerated. So basically it turns into toxic emissions and carbon dioxide. Yeah, so this agreement could really, really be huge if successful. Hopefully it's legally binding too, like they mentioned, because that's really the only way to see progress Negotiators in Nairobi are going to look at two main resolutions this week. So the first one is from Rwanda and Peru, and it addresses the full life cycle of plastics and has the backing of more than 70 countries, including 27 from the European Union. The second resolution is from Japan and focuses on marine litter while prioritizing waste management. That one's been backed by Cambodia, Palau, and Sri Lanka. There's going to be a lot of discussions over this, but Nick, which one are you hoping they kind of use as the framework? Uh, it's got to be Rwanda and Peru for me, and it's because it's addressing the full life cycle of plastics. You have to think about all the factors that play a part in you know, one plastic bottle's life. Yeah, I'm with you. This one seems like a no-brainer, and more than 300 scientists have called upon the UN to accept nothing less than the key elements of that framework. So... A quote to close it out from Inger Anderson, public impatience is something that is very powerful. The public has had enough. We are all dependent on plastic, but they obviously want to see some resolution of this issue. So look, never feel like your voice, your wallet, and your votes don't matter because they do. And in this case, public impatience is such a major factor that it's being brought up on this international stage. Yeah, absolutely. And and like... People, the, there are people out there that want to do away with plastics. They just don't have, they're not given the options in order to do it. And that's why they can't. So it, it's like, I always compare it to oat milk, but it's so true. It's like, if more people want it, well, that drives the price down. So boom. Yeah. All right. Quick editor's note. We recorded this show on Tuesday, but on Wednesday, 175 countries agreed to iron out the details of this over the next two years. It's going to be legally binding and cover the life cycle of plastics. And negotiations like this usually take five to 10 years. So the UN made this a high priority. We don't have an agreement yet, but this is good news and a step in the right direction. All right, let's move on to our next quick hit. And it is titled Offshore Wind Lease Sale Nets Record 4.4 Billion by Rachel Frazen of The Hill. Huge news here. The Interior Department announced that six tracks totaling 488,000 acres in the New York Bight has been sold for a record-breaking amount last Friday. This isn't just an offshore wind record, but also for oil and gas leasing. The areas can host wind farms that will generate enough electricity to power up to 2 million homes. Secretary Deb Holland said this shows just how much interest there is in clean energy. She added that the sale makes one thing clear. The enthusiasm for the clean energy economy is undeniable, and it's here to stay. Right on, Deb. This is great news for New York and New Jersey. And just for reference, 2 million homes is enough to power all of the homes in Manhattan and Queens. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's no small feat here. Yeah, seriously. It's, this, is, this is big time. And what's exciting is it's just kind of one first step of many, like I'm pumped about this and it's a massive step towards the Biden administration's goals of creating enough energy through offshore wind to power 10 million homes by 2030. There's also another goal to hold seven offshore wind lease sales by 2025. And 
look, it's kind of hard to imagine that every single one of those is going to be larger than the last and record breaking. But even if they're close or even just adding them all up in total, this is still going to create substantial clean energy. And it all comes back to something that I feel like we talk about often. Clean energy is better for the environment. It's better for the economy. And honestly, it's really, really popular. And that's important right now. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we just got to kind of start breaking down that 10 million chip away at that goal. Yeah, I think chipping away is a really good way to look at it. And look, for the longest time, the barrier for entry for renewables was the cost and public perception. And the cost per kilowatt hour has decreased so much over the past decade. And public support is really behind clean energy. So if not now, then when? Like This is the most momentum in the clean energy movement that we've seen yet. And look, I hope that momentum just keeps building and getting stronger. Yeah, for sure. All right, Matty, what do you say? I think we got to take a break. Take a break. Shout out Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) Still have never seen Hamilton. Just saying. It's a good one. It's a good one. All right, let's do it. So, Maddie, this weekend, funny enough, we actually talked about it on last week's show, but I went snowboarding. That's right. Shredding the mountains. I shred the mountains. Uh, I did the most white thing I could think of on my Saturday, <laughs> and I took to the mountain. I snowboarded, and it was a great time. It was awesome. But you know what? I'm still feeling the effects of being out in the cold for that long. My lips are chapped. My nose is dripping. It's terrible. And the only thing... I can think of to help me. It's not prescription over-the-counter drugs. It's nothing like that. I'm using a very simple tool in order to fix my issues. Well, it can't fix your chapped lips because we don't have a chapstick sponsor yet. So clearly you must be talking about Val Alta's everyday handkerchief. Matt, you nailed it. I'm not talking about Blistex. I am talking about Vela Alta's everyday handkerchief. It's a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. If you're at the gym, on the mountain, or on the farm, Vala Alta has got you covered. Shred the slopes and blow your nose with a Vala Alta. <laughs> Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up on the docket, we have a story by Kyle Bagenstos of Yahoo News. And he writes, road salt triggering massive harm to U.S. lakes, contaminating drinking water. Studies warn. Combine road salt usage by the dozen communities around 
Lake George's banks in New York have increased the lake's salinity by nearly three times over the past several decades, according to the Fund for Lake George. The lake's salt levels are now more than 30 times higher than more isolated lakes in the Adirondack Mountain region. One town called Hag, New York, has decreased its salt usage by more than three-fifths through different snowplows, improving salt spreading on trucks, and reduced salt output to no more than necessary. In certain situations, they even switched to a liquid brine to reduce their salt usage. And unfortunately, Hag's story is kind of a unique one. Across the U.S., road salt and other de-icing materials are threats to the environment and to human health, according to a peer-reviewed journal published in Frontiers in Ecology and the Environment. The paper warned that road salt is creating a massive increase in the salt levels of freshwater bodies, which are dangerous for aquatic life and drinking water for humans. This is more of an issue in the Northeast and the Midwest, but 70% of the U.S. population lives in a region where it snows, so really this does affect all of us. Yeah, if you live in the Northeast or or the Midwest for that sake, you know how the roads look when winter is finally over and spring starts to come around. It's just straight up pothole city. It's like all over the place. You can't you can't escape it. But what I didn't know is that it could really do so much harm to our drinking water as well. Yeah, this is something that, you know, once you read it, you're like, huh, I probably should have realized that one because I keep thinking like salt is a naturally occurring element. It dissolves in water, so whatever, but you know, everything in nature has a balance and equilibrium. And by dumping a ton of salt into an environment, it's going to throw off that equilibrium. Yeah. So studies included in this found that over half of the urban streams in 13 Northern cities had chloride levels exceeding the EPA threshold. Baltimore and Maryland reached 100 times higher than what was found in forested streams, even into the summer as the salt kept making its way into rivers from the previous winter. To add some salt to that wound, Nick, give me a little... (laughs) Research suggests that the EPA's threshold may already be too high, and that lower amounts of chloride will begin to harm zooplankton, which are the base of aquatic food chains. When you don't protect the base of a food chain, it impacts the top of the food chain. If zooplankton die off in great numbers, the fish that eat the zooplankton and the fish that eat those fish will be impacted. Eventually, that's going to impact your eagles, your bears, and your humans too. Yeah, nice callback to the last episode. And the article adds that salt may pose more of a threat to drinking water. So studies of private drinking water wells near a salt storage shed in upstate New York found that more than one in five exceeded the EPA's recommended limit for chloride. If you expand this to the entire state, Researchers estimated up to one in four wells could be affected because of how close they are to roads or salt sheds. Salt also erodes lead plumbing, which, you know, if you listen to Monday's episode, you know how harmful that is. More than one in 10 of the homes with private wells studied in New York had unsafe levels of lead in their drinking water. Ecosystems can only handle so much salt without throwing off their equilibrium, so we don't need to stop using road salt entirely or anything like that. We just need to limit it to what the ecosystems can handle. One county that has started that switch is Jefferson County, Wisconsin, where they reduced their salt usage by more than half over the last seven years. They found reducing salt truck speeds actually makes the salt bounce less off of the roads, and they created new routes for plow operators. That way they could make sure that salt wasn't pushed off the road right after being used. 
let it sit, let it get set for a little while and boom, it's not going to get just pushed off and become useless and end up into the streams and the soils nearby. Best of all, their strategy provided cost savings too. So there's absolutely no downfall here. Yeah. I and mean, that's, a, that's just like a great example of just, Hey, let's do our research. Let's see how we can be more efficient and, you know, make this a more safer environment or community to the people who live here. And you're also saving money. Boom. Saving money, no downside for the plowing. It's not like the roads were any more difficult to navigate. It's not like the snow wasn't getting pushed off. It's better for the water. Stop me when I say something that people are going to disagree with here. Like this is a good thing. (laughs) It's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to our last one of the week, and it is from Forbes, where Sophia Lato Persio writes, what Putin's war means for energy policy, powering community solar projects, and a chat about supply chain transparency. We're going to keep this segment focusing on the environmental aspects of what's been going on in the last week. Also, we are recording this early in the week, so this is going to be an ongoing story. Um, apologies if we, if we omit anything. It's just the nature of when we're recording Let me start off by saying that our thoughts go out to the people of Ukraine who've had their lives completely upended. Um, Our thoughts go out to the people of Russia who some of them have been risking their lives protesting in St. Petersburg. And I saw that hundreds had been arrested by the Russian government um, and also all of the lives who've been impacted by Vladimir Putin just being an evil sack of He doesn't care for his own people, let alone the Ukrainian people and Everyone is a number to, to Vladimir Putin, and the only number he cares about, unfortunately, is his own net worth. So this is just an all-around horrible situation. Yeah, this is... I, I am just feeling so bad for the people of Ukraine um, to have your family basically uprooted from their homes is you know something that no one should ever have to go through. And um, I, I can't help but feel like this is just completely unnecessary. He's trying to recreate the Soviet Union and expand the Russian Empire, and it's just, it's selfish. Like, the the people of Ukraine have a right to self-governance. and Yeah, in any event, um, this article points out that in response to Putin invading a country unprovoked, Germany halted the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline project, which would bring gas from Russia to Germany. This is projected to increase gas prices in Germany, which Russian official Dmitry Medvedev tried to use as a bargaining chip. And kudos to German Chancellor Olaf Scholz for not backing down on this one. Persio goes on to write how no better case for independence from global fossil fuel powers can be made than this one right here. There's a quote that I'm reminded of by this whole situation, and it's wars of the past were fought over religion, wars of the present are fought over oil, and wars of the future will be fought over water. This is a war of the present. And dependence on Russian oil has prevented some countries from sanctioning Russian oligarchs as quickly and as hard as others would like. Nord Stream 2 is an $11 billion pipeline, so for Germany to halt that is a big step, and one that Germans will feel the effects of. I would guess and I would hope that most Germans don't mind bearing the costs for a little bit given the circumstances, but this would be a non-issue if not for society's historic reliance on oil. 27% of Germany's energy in 2020 came from Russian gas, which was expected to continue as Germany phases out coal plants by 2030 and shut down all of its nuclear plants after the Fukushima disaster. 
Germany also planned to reduce their dependence on Russia for gas, and this is something that could speed up that process. Reuters reported on Monday that Germany would be ramping up its transition to renewables and will have 100% renewable energy by 2035, and 80% coming from wind and solar by 2030. It could also be a temporary pause for Nord Stream 2, which would mean more reliance on Russia and more money for Russia. Beyond Germany, 27 countries in the EU get 40% of their natural gas from Russian sources. If they stopped funding Russia, or if Russia turned off their gas supplies in retaliation over this, then what? In the US, oil prices are nearing $100 per barrel as Russian oil gets cut off. And actually, since the time that I read this article, I read that they surpassed that and it was somewhere around $106 per barrel. Um, The question becomes, do we release the reserves we have? Do we let the price of oil continue to increase with supply decreasing? It also becomes a political issue here with midterms approaching in November. So all of this is to say there is a lot of conflict of interest here that I'm sure you're gathering. And in a perfect world where there is more energy independence due to our infinite solar energy and abundant wind energy, then Russian oil is a non-factor. But unfortunately, it is right now. German finance minister Christian Lindner has referred to renewable electricity sources as the energy of freedom. And personally, I hope that this leads to more energy freedom around the world. Yeah, and I've heard some people saying online like, oh, we should have kept like the, the Keystone XL pipeline intact because now we're more reliant on Russia. How do you feel about all that? It's tough because it's like, you know, it's a short-term solution that's going to do a lot of harm down the road. And do I think that would have been a good move? No. But tell that to people who are struggling to pay their gas bills because the price is going up right now. Like it's... yeah it's a really difficult situation and one that I don't have the answer for. And I think that a lot of people don't have the answer for, but personally I'm okay with my gas bill being a little bit higher next month. If it means more energy independence and less reliance on, you know, a government that just invaded another country unprovoked. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I agree with you. And it's like you said, like it's, just a f- it's just like the nature of energy independence we we just don't have it right now yeah you know but as we grow over the next you know 10 15 years you know we might and then we can completely cut them off and that would be in my opinion the best thing we could possibly do for everyone right like it's better if each country is able to just support themselves with their own energy and, and look that's not going to be realistic in some cases like some i'm thinking different countries in Europe or different regions in the U S like we live in the U S it's a really easy comparison for me to make the Northeast isn't the best for utility scale solar because it's densely populated. There's a lot of trees, a lot of forests, but we can get a ton of our energy through offshore wind, the Midwest where it's more spacious, you could do more big solar projects. So being able to export that energy around the country through better storage, better batteries, better transmission, that's going to be huge. And the same goes for Europe, where some countries are going to get more sun, some are going to get more wind. Being able to work together is going to be huge, but it's an abundance of energy where it's not, you know, relying on natural resources you have to dig out of the ground that are finite, where one country can just be like, yeah, pay us more and this is our influence on the world. So next time we want to go to war with somebody, you're going to have to think twice about who you stick up for. Yeah, 
Well said, Matt. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We'll be back on Monday to review Hulu's A Beautiful Planet. And I promise our moods will be a little bit higher because all we're going to talk about is that documentary. Yes. So check it out. And also feel free to send us any comments you have on social media. And we might discuss it on the show. Please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a review for the show on Apple while you're at it. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norton. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. We are co-hosted and produced by the incredibly talented Nick Janusa, who also does the music for every show. Nick, where can our listeners hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash budlincape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out. You can keep up with the entire TPT team on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Planet Today Pod, or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. Make sure to follow our socials for an exclusive quick hit every week that we won't be talking about on the show. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace.